Hello everybody and welcome back into Cult Film Cafe with me, one of your hosts, Jonathan, and I am joined as always by my partner in crime, Kenzie McLean. Hello there. And yes, we have a repeat guest for the first time on the podcast. It is the man from the Princess Bride episode. It is the one and only Mr. David Green. Hello, inconceivable, that sort of thing. (laughs) So yeah, just give you a quick rundown of the podcast. If you don't know by now, it's just a quick one. We are um, exploring 100 must-see cult movies poster on and on each episode. We let the guest choose one of the films and then we break it down from a cult aspect. That's basically it in a nutshell. And as I just said, the guest gets to picks. I'm going to hand you over to David. David, let everybody know what amazing film you've chosen this time. Well, today it's uh, a bit more popular, I'd say. More more, more uh, well-known. We're doing Blade Runner. Har- Ridley Scott, Harrison Ford. There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants. I need you, Dex. I need the old Blade Runner. Replicants are like any other machine. They're either a benefit or a hazard. If they're a benefit, it's not my problem. I'm Rachel. Deckard. They were designed to copy human beings in every way. How can it not know what it is? Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. If only you could see what I've seen. What seems to be the problem? I want more life. It's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? More human than human is our motto. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Smashing. So, yeah, just quick uh, follow-up to that, as we always ask, why Blade Runner? Well, I like Blade Runner. It's the same thing with Princess Bride, really. I like Blade Runner, and I think it's really cool. And also, a lot of the stuff that I like has, like, inspiration from it. So, I just thought it was kind of a no-brainer, really. Yeah, great choice. I mean, uh, me and Kenzie done this a few weeks ago, where we sort of tried to pick films that we would potentially do for our guests on the podcast. This is definitely up there for me, as if this wasn't my podcast and somebody asked me to come on, Blade Runner is up there with one of the films I would definitely pick off the list, so I'm glad that you've you've chosen it. Um, and I'm hoping that, unlike a lot of these, Kenzie's actually familiar with this film. <laughs> I do know of it. I have heard of it. Please tell me this isn't the first time you've watched it. It is the first time I've actually oh, fully Kenzie. watched it. <laughs> I, I know pretty much everything about the film. Oh, that's a lie. I know quite a lot about the film. It's quite funny. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Red Dwarf, and there's, there's, they've done, mm. they done a, spe- a three-part special called Back to Earth, where they do a, a lot, it pretty much follows almost the plot of Blade Runner in a way. And it was so funny when I was watching the film, I was like, oh yeah, that's that, that part in Red Dwarf. Oh yeah, this looks this looks the same. They literally rip off a scene. They rip off like film. multiple scenes. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, when like Zara dies, they rip off that bit in the end of Red Dwarf. It's so good, I love it. Yeah, they rip off like the whole <laughs> so thing, funny. even like the part at the end when they're driving the car. Mm, yeah, you're right actually. In the mountains. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
That's maybe something we can touch upon later when we get to the legacy and cultural impact of the film. But you brought up already, but we can go deeper into that once we get to that part of the podcast. Um, yeah, this this is um, such a good film for me. I love this film. Um, this is kind of, for me, this is Ridley Scott top form. I, I like some Ridley Scott films. I'm not like a stan and be like, I like every single thing that he does because um, there's films that he's done that I'm not a big fan of, but yeah, this is definitely top tier Ridley Scott, in my opinion. I mean, I quite enjoyed it, yeah. Um, I thought I would like it more, honestly. Uh, I think the style of the film is like neo-noir, and it looked, the, the visuals. This film came out when? 1982. 82, yeah. It looks fantastic. It really does. Like, Absolutely. Uh, the, the sound, the music, all fantastic. The acting, it's all great. Um, for me, really, the one thing holding it back, I, I just don't think the story was that good. But bar that, I liked the world of it. It seemed really cool, and it 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 was nice to it was really nice to look at. Um, overall, I thought it was pretty decent. Yeah, I, I can maybe see where you're coming from. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the film. I like the story. I feel like there's probably more in it than maybe first watchers would get. Um, and it's funny. It's obviously it's based on Philip K. Dick's novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Um, what a good just, name. What's that? I love the name. That's such the na- a good name. The name of the name. book. Yeah, they should have called the it's film called- that. Uh, it's an electric sheep and it. it's quite good it's a weird book actually i think when i was reading about the film um one somebody's sort of negative critique about it was that it doesn't have some of the more sort of humane and sort of human mm. hu- and the humor because apparently there's some sort of more bits of humor in the book obviously the film isn't funny at all um it, it's not that type of film but apparently there, there is that sort of tinge to it on in the book which i've not read so if anybody's familiar with that um yeah you you you'll so i understand that a bit more um for anybody who isn't familiar with the film and i'm hoping there isn't anybody not familiar with the film listening to the podcast but if you're not um the film is basically it's set in a dystopian future los angeles in the year 2019 which is obviously past now for us but at the time um, this film came out in 1982, in which synthetic humans, known as replicants, are they're, they're bioengineered by the powerful Tyrell Corporation to work on uh, space colonies off-planet for colonisation. And then, basically, the plot of the film is, is there's f- a group of four make their way back to Earth, and they kind of become fugitives, and that's when Harrison Ford's character, Rick Deckard, who is a Blade Runner, hunts them down to not kill them, as said in the writing at the start of the film, is to retire them, which is a bit of a weird one. I don't know why they've done that, but it is mentioned. Because they're not dead, they're not alive, is the whole thing, isn't it? They're Ah, robots. They they don't seem as human. Yeah. The film... um, uh, oh, there's some like great stuff about the film. I love the film's music. I've yeah. said this all mm-hmm. the time about about this film. It's got a great score. It's probably one of the best scores or film soundtracks, whoever you whatever you would call it, probably of all time for me. It's definitely in the top ten. Um, 
and the, the the score was nominated for a BAFTA and a Golden Globe um, in nineteen eighty two. Great music. I just I think the music, along with the visual, really propels this film for a lot of people. And Kenzie said you weren't really into the story, so mm-hmm. I think the music and the visual of it probably helps a lot. Does a lot of the heavy lifting, I suppose, and acting. I think. The unsung hero for me is Roy Batty, Rutger Hauer. I think mm-hmm, he yeah. is probably the best character in this film, in my opinion. Yeah, he's he's like, sorry. He's like the real main character, right? Kind he, of, he, yeah. He has like the proper... I, uh, he's, I think he, he was played really well. And also that last bit, like the rooftop, is like so... It's so a very famous scene. It's so good. Like, it's kind of funny, like Rick Decker, the main guy, I feel like he's... And I'll, I'll, He's not. He's in the film a lot, but at some parts he's not. For quite mm. a bit, he's, you don't. I think especially near the end of the film, there's just like a big part where he's not really in it that much. And even when he is, he's. I think he is a good character. I just. I just don't think you see a lot of his character in a way. Uh, when he's there, whereas with Rutger Howard, I think you get to see a lot more of him and like the acting that done was was really good. Uh, yeah, um, I think everyone. I, I don't think there's a, a single bad performance in this film. Uh, really, for me, it really. I, I, Jonathan's right. It really carried it. Like everything about every other thing besides like the story for me, like just was just I really liked, and it just made it much easier to watch. And the film, like the film's two hours long, it didn't feel like it was two hours long. And in fact, I, I got to the point where I was at like in the final part of the film, and I was like, wait, hold, we're already here. Which I thought was very odd, because I felt like I felt like I was missing something, but there was no that was just mm. there. I think the film goes kind of quick, and I, it's weird. That's why I feel like the film doesn't actually have that much like stuff to it, like kind of plot to it in a way. I, I get I understand the plot and all that, but it's just suddenly it's just suddenly there. It feels like like it gets to the first point when Rick kills like the first one of the fugitives, and then. The other one dies like pretty quickly out after that, and then like there's you get at that point you get to see more of the, the actual the other two fugitives. But then I really feel like it really suddenly arrived at the end of the film, and I was like, really already? And I feel like I hadn't got a lot out of it. I really like the world. I wanted to see a lot more. I feel like in a way, maybe I should try the sequel. I I still think twenty four really does anything or says anything that the original didn't it just takes longer to do really and says it well worse oh it, 24 hours felt a bit like an indulgence to me it's like we want another blade runner film so we're just gonna make another one for the sake of it because we want to make one so and it's not really doing anything so, it's not saying anything it's just we like this let's do another one so, it's very different from the original sorry sorry <laughs> um so to you is it pretty much do you think it's like the second one's kind of like the same film, or is it is it, is it completely different? It's, it, it's I feel it's doing the same. It, it's trying to do the same thing. You know, it's you know robots are more human than human sort of thing. You know, it's it's questioning morality. It's you know the whole corporation thing. It, it's basically I, I feel like it's a prettier, more longer, much much longer, uh, watered down version of the original. Was kind of I feel like I don't really care about Ryan Gosling's character. He's basically Deckard to me. But in 2049, there's no Roy Batty. There's no, like, you know, 
you know, we sympathise with Roy. We we hate him at the start. He's shown off as a villain, and we kind of at the end we're like, yo, he's actually he's kind of neat. He's like, he's like, uh, he's more human than than Deckard. It really, Deckard's, you know, yeah, it really feels like that. I think that's true. Yeah, because we're 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 showing the opposite. Because like you know, like Roy does dodgy stuff. He does, but it's always shown with kind of regret for the most part after like you know the weird thing with the eyes yeah but after that you know when he kills tyrell spoiler obviously um Who's Ty- you know he's not he's not enjoying it is he what was it tyrell was only squeezed his like eyes out right mm-hmm. yeah is is his dad technically you know oh yeah when he's asking for life uh, yeah it's really it's really, I mean, it's really it's really good it's like you can't you understand why he's doing it he wants more life mm-hmm. it's simple uh, he only lives for motive. four years is that all he gets yeah yeah, I feel like Rick Decker in a way is. You're right. He's shown much more, almost soulless in a way. Like he, yeah, he definitely has something antagon- there, <laughs> but um, he's not antagonistic. But he's kind of more amoral, if you will. He sees it as he he's he's, put, he's a cog in the machine at the start, and at the end, obviously, he's not. Yeah, because whole corporation thing. It's you know corporations are bad, but at the start, he's very much uh, he's he's basically on par with Roy at the start, and at the end, he's like, oh, hang on. It's- I found the Rick Decker character really weird. Um, cause I didn't see him really as a protagonist at all. Like mm-hmm. he, when he was there in the film, he was there, but then then he wasn't for like big part. I, 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 well, he's I, not really a protagonist. He's more like an anti-hero. Like mm. he's he's not a hero. He's not a protagonist. He's not like a Luke Skywalker or anything like that. You know, he's he's very. He, he does make a lot of uh, he makes a lot of immoral decisions and th- there's a lot of sort of nuance where you can read into the film where if you mm. maybe watch it again so on the outset we are meant to believe that Rick Deckard's the good guy and does everything for the good but there's some few things that I'll bring up later in the podcast which you'll start to question the morality of his character and if you flip that over to somebody like a Roy although Roy does do bad things He's very remorseful, very quickly after he does things. Like he, mm-hmm. he's he does things for purpose. Um, whereas I think Rick does a lot of things for himself, and right. not for the greater good. He's just doing it mm-hmm. for him. Whereas yeah. Roy's basically doing a lot of things he's doing for his so-called family, which are the other replicants. Like he's fighting for more life. Essentially, is what humans want more life and good quality life and that's all he's asking for and he obviously feels as though he can only get it the way that he tried to he obviously didn't think he could achieve it any other way um and i think that's poignant as well as a message at the end of the film like he saves deckard then he gives you this speech and then he essentially that's him he times out and then the dove sort of flies away. There's a bit of symbology there. Um, as like a, a soul leaving a body, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where we get to. But I think when you watch the film more, I know that Roy's meant to be the big bad man, but over time, multiple watches in, I do sympathise with the character a lot more than, say, like a Rick Deckard, where maybe when I watched it the first time, I thought he was the hero. But now, I, I don't really like Rick as a actual person like i just don't think he's a nice person he's supposed to be a good like a really good blade runner as well i thought he got his ass handed to him like every time in the film and 
probably part of your good blade runner is he's like you shoot them before they get a chance to start battering you like leon does also like he just gets jumped there's a there's a theory that rick decker is might be a replicant yeah oh okay but i don't see how he could be if he's so weak against replicants maybe he's a weaker replicant because is that, is that a thing that he possible? could be a different model like so yeah the the replicants that are meant to be the fugitive bad people they're nexus six so they're like most of them are soldiers yeah they were they were sort of built and designed for very specific line of work which was going to other planets to colonize them you know and do a hard graft and fight and stuff like that whereas rick could have potentially have been designed differently i'm not saying i don't believe that rick deckard's a replicant but i know that there is that theory out there that he is a replicant yeah um but i think that would take away from the film mm. if he was personally and the other point is you know ro- a robot a inhuman thing that they see as a robot is more human than the human sort of thing like yeah but he's a replicant yeah, yeah. but there's a lot of subtle that. hints in the film if you watch it mm. like there's all these sort of subtle hints that he is he and i think that's what the film does well like if you hone in on that arc of the story you could be kind of tossing and turning about mm-hmm. trying to figure out whether you believe he is or he isn't yeah that's true but i think i might agree with david and can it i think it would probably be better if he is human but we don't actually know that's like, i think that's, like... do you know what i think that makes it the fact the fact that it's we don't know it's probably for the best well there's like can go on <sighs> ridley scott said he was a replicant mm-hmm like but Harrison did, Ford yeah. said he wasn't and as well. Harrison Ford came out and said he wasn't so you've got and these like, conflicting uh, yeah. viewpoints of people within the film as well huh like the two big things with the character with like contrasting opinions like yeah. what's actually going on uh, but, that, that's weird yeah yeah it is one of these films that um but yeah like we say there's loads of good things we're just briefly touching on it here has anybody else got anything else that really sticks out to them that they would say is a huge sort of great thing about the film? I think we've covered most of it, I think, with like, you know, themes. And I think we've covered most of it. What about things you don't like? I've got a few gripes with the film yeah. myself. What do you think? Um, it's not It's not necessarily about the story or anything like that. It's some of the sort of technical things. I mm. think some of the transitions are really dated. Like the fade in, fade out transitions, I don't really like. If you compare that to like cinema now, they're very cut, cut, cut. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. There's a lot of these kind of fade, and I, I get, I just don't really like it personally. That's a great for me. Mm-hmm. There's a few edit choices where I feel like it jumps a bit weird. Um, and the final scene when Harrison Ford gets pulled up by Roy Batty is really dated now, like the effects. Mm-hmm. These are minor issues, obviously. The film's, like, 45 years old now. Um, or 40 years old. 40 honestly, years old. The, honestly, the fact that it still looks this good is amazing, to be honest. Um, yeah, it still looks great, but there's just a, f- a few greats. A but bit. A lot, there's a lot... I mean, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff that I do like, like production design, how, how they went about it. Now, if you want to read in more about that and find out more, there's a lot of good stuff about the production design. There's there's a lot of things we'll touch on it um probably later on about budget and stuff but the budget for this film got out of control very very quickly because they realised 
just what they were trying to build in terms of world and scope mm-hmm. that they couldn't do it for a cheap amount of money. Um, and on that, the company that was the financial backers actually kind of went into liquidation um, during the production and I think they tried to find another financial backer and eventually it became the lad company who had ties with Warner Brothers who distributed the movie and that's where where we get to um, and the budget ended up getting to around $30 million now at the time that was probably a lot of money I mean I think the last few films we've spoke about in the podcast have been a couple of million if that um, in terms of budget this is huge budget for the times but probably goes along with the territory that you try and create this kind of futuristic sci-fi film and world that they're trying to do as well so it probably comes hand in hand yeah i mean like it paid off i think the <laughs> having the kind of big budget it had i mean Cause it does i mean like it's almost timeless really with how it looks I that's feel. true even the flying cars yeah like, even with like like bro the the yeah the air thing i don't actually disagree there's some uh choice ways of it being done and it, but the way it overall looks it does look you know you couldn't necessarily always tell it's going to be an old film you can make it, you know like say it was i was, I was gonna say modern but maybe mid-2000s you know that's that's more than probably could be said for a lot of 82 films yeah like that we we've said this before on the podcast that the biggest leap in terms of films of that age to now is special effects so cgi um special effects visual effects they are the that's the part of in my opinion the film industry that's took the biggest leap forward in the last 30 plus years um and even well saying that there's even some choice films made today <clears throat> spider-man that's got some really bad visual <laughs> and special effects. Not to slate Marvel, but when a film's got a hundred and fifty million dollar budget, you expect top notch visual and special effects. But it's a, like, I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> so I try to get a dig at Marvel there. But oh, that's, that's my opinion. Sorry. Um but by the sounds of it, I don't think any of you have really anything bad to say about the film. The only uh, oh, no, please go on. Or right, do you go first? No, no, no. You go first. I, no, you go first. I, you are the guest. Okay. Uh, I don't disagree with you, Kenzie. With like, I, I like the plot. I think the plot's good. I think the simplistic plot works from not making everything too overcomplicated. But personally, mm. it's not a massive gripe. But it, it feels kind of like see between Roy killing Tyrell and then Harrison Ford show up at like the the apartment. There seems to be I I, I feel anyway. There's like something missing between that. Uh, yeah, it feels like it's like, and it cuts to him being like, "Yo, can I, uh, can I go shoot press or something like that?" You know, it's like that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, that was. Weird. It's not major. I completely agree. But there does feel like is like something should have been there to to yeah, flow just, it in. Yeah, you know, it's my. I thought. Suddenly, like, oh, wait, oh, we're at the end of the film. Like, wait, what? Yeah, that's like, kind of why I thought. It just seemed like, well, uh, for me, I think my kind of main gripe with the film is its final act. But I will also I will quickly bring up about. about what was that? Who was the person? Say his name was JF or something. JF, JF. Sebastian. Yeah, he's nice. Why did why why did they kill him? Um, because you'd see them. You'd probably tell on him. But yeah. no, but like I just, I just, also, I just don't see Roy doing it's that. It's a highly like, emotional... after he helped them. 
I just don't see him doing that. I, I, that's one thing I can't look past Roy. I don't really like Roy because of that. Like, the fact that they, he literally helped them, and then Roy was going nowhere anyway. Roy just ends up dying anyway. What, what the fuck was the point in just killing, killing yeah, him? Like, like, uh, I, I don't see the, the point in that. He kind of goes I was get, like, haywire at that can, point, though, yeah, doesn't he? I can kind of get why you would say that, but he Sebastian worked for the corporation as well. I know, but it's like, there is there is alignment there. But I get your point. Is Roy kind of strong armed them into sort of, well, you're helping us, help us, help us, and he does help us, and then for his help, he gets murdered essentially, head crushed, which is which is quite a shady sort of thing to do. But I think you can understand why Roy does it. Um, but obviously, you don't. And that's obviously why you that's one of the things you don't like Roy for, and that's totally fine as well. But he is meant to be he is a kind of bad guy with a good heart kind of character where he does things that are questionable, but some things you can't really make an excuse for, and this is probably one of them. Yeah, there's just some things for me. Like the final act of the film, I thought was really odd. Like, so the final act starts. He goes into the, like the house, the, the building. Mm-hmm. He has to fight with the, the the last, the other fugitive. Press. She gets taken. Press. Yep. What's her name? Press. Press. Cool. She gets take. She gets taken down. And this final part with Roy and Rick, <laughs> I just don't like it. I I I I everything about. I think it's super weird. It is. It's like the I genre changes. I feel. I don't. I don't know what's happening. I'm like, what? What? Are they trying to kill each other, or like, what's going on? What is what is Roy doing? Roy's and then and then Roy saves them for like no reason. And it's like, why though? Because he's got a good heart. But like, what? It's he just killed off JF's the the J, that JF guy like fucking not long before. I don't. And he just dies anyway. And he does like not gonna lie. The quote at the end of the film was great. But I just feel like the the whole climax of this film just felt like nothing to me. I just I don't understand what was happening. I didn't really feel like anything was happening. It just, they were having like some sort of, it's just, I just think that's the weakest part of the film by far. I just don't get it. I don't get what Roy's trying to do. He's, it just seems like he's kind of toying with Rick and Rick's just kind of running, climbing, <laughs> keeps him running to different places and Roy's already there. Like he climbs up the building and Roy's already up the top. And that, and then Roy's, and then Roy saves him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, for me, that whole last part, and then he, then he does the good, the, the, cause I, the, speech, the, the one thing I did really like was the quote, the quote part of the speech. It's a good speech. <laughs> but then that's it, and it's just like, what was the point in that? Oh, Kenzie, I hate you, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alright, continue. Well, what do you think about that? You're wrong, <laughs> first of all. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I do understand what you mean, though, because I thought the exact same thing when I first saw the film. Because it was... It's it's a man chasing another man in his pants in, in, a, in a rain-soaked apartment building. <laughs> it's, it's how I saw yeah. it. I was like, why is he naked? Why is he chasing Harrison Ford through this apartment? Um, Hawks his head with the wall like the killer. I thought it was so funny. I love that part so much. Um, at least the way I see it anyway, it's like it kind of goes with Sebast- him killing Sebastian. It's after he kills Tyrell, he's basically in this downward spiral of hopelessness. You know, he's like. I mean, that's true. He, he's you know, got nothing left. Yeah, I guess. He, he he can't survive. What's you know? He's just like he's hopeless. He's dead. Then he sees his girlfriend like dead on the ground, and then he gets shot. And it's just kind of it, this is his bit where he's like, you know, it, it it's, he doesn't care if he lives or dies sort of thing. He sees no value in his life, in my opinion. 
And then but why save Rick? He's proving a point. Yeah, I think like that. That is the whole point of it. Is he the whole aspect of this film and the sort of themes and topics, which we'll probably come on to later that they're trying to talk about, is sort of like human over machine and are are these machines purely machines or have they got to a point of an evolved state where they can think for themselves and it shows you that they are kind of there and this is kind of what people are saying is the reason that he saves Rick is he's demonstrating that he has free will and he's a, he's fully a human being um like, so he can make his own choices and decisions. He doesn't. He isn't just bred to be this killer. Like, I think. I think a lot of people view that in these replicants that they just do all these terrible things. But it just goes to show that even though they're programmed to do that, at this point they're becoming more and more human-like. I think that's the character of Rachel as well. You've got to bring her in. I mean, she's a replicant, but believes that she's a human being for pretty much half the film until Rick tells her that she isn't and that she's been the reason that she has memories is because they were implanted they, they aren't hers but she believes them to be hers and there's that whole aspect to the film that you haven't touched upon but I think it's just f- through evolution and I think this is the closer you get to human AI the closer the AI will get to becoming human and being human you have a brain and a mind and you can do things that you want to do and I think a lot of people were expecting Roy to maybe let Rick fall but he was like you know what no I'm not going to do that I'm not going to watch somebody just fall to their death I'm going to help them and he does and I think that's another sort of thing to discuss I think it just adds to the, the sort of Things within the film, you know, which people will probably talk about. He, he still called JF though. He, he was angry. Leave him alone. But he, so he was angry, so he killed the guy that was helping him. To but the, the guy who killed his, his, the guy who killed his GF, nah, he can live. Ah, uh, see, look at me, I'm a good person. Look, I yeah. saved you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know, and I get, I get the main thing I'm chasing about is like now you've felt fear is what he says to him. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it's all about like this is what it's like to be tracked, like, track, like someone coming after you for like your whole life, and you literally have to fear for your yeah. life. So that that I understand, but uh, I, I'm I still can't believe you killed JF, man. I, no, maybe I'm just salty. I don't actually entirely disagree with you. I just I feel like that one part of him killing. I just yeah. don't. If he's gonna let Rick Decker live, I think he would have let JF live. I just. I mean, right. We're now we're now digressing about an act of an AI <laughs> replicant. That... Yeah, but he's shown that he's supposed to be. To be fair, pretty much human. Right, right but... at the end, is like he's he is basically dead. Like you, know, you see him. Yeah. crumply up and all that so maybe it's like at the end you kind of see the value of life maybe because like you know he's been treated disposable so he's seeing mm-hmm. it's like um in his last moments he is willing he's he's, he's going to make a, make a make a difference sort of thing he's he's like i acknowledge that this is important or something i don't know i'm not i'm not him look i, I get everybody will have their own opinions on it but yeah kenzie and david and i we've all given our things that we like we spoke about the film a bit and things that we dislike and yeah everybody's got their own opinion of it but yeah let's move on to give our ratings of the film like we do here in the podcast we rate things out of five popcorn buckets and it'll just be interesting to see where people put this um 
last week uh, on the podcast, um, Kenzie gave his lowest rating ever so far. So yeah, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where you put this one. For me, I I thought I, I, again, this is one that I thought about a lot, and I think I know. I think I'm pretty. F- I know where I'm going to give it. I'm I'm going to give it a three point five. Fair. Um, and that's pretty much for me. The reason why it's getting that fairly high one is because everything other than like the main kind of plot of the film is amazing, and I really I I did quite like it. But I don't I don't feel like I love the film. To me, in a way, I like the film, and I feel like it's in a way I, I think all right's probably a bit harsh. I but I, I like the film, but. I don't feel like very. I don't feel much about it in a, in a certain way. Like I don't feel like I, like I really need to watch that again, or like that's a great film. It's not not fully for me, I guess. Mm. Um, but I did like it, and I thought it visually it was fantastic. Acting was great. Sound design brilliant. It's just the actual film itself for me that wasn't that great. But then again, it was two hours long, and. It, didn't feel like it. It was an easy watch for me, even though I'm kind of, in a way, being kind of harsh on it. So I think I will give it 3.5 out of 5. That's actually a fair... I thought I was a higher one than I thought you'd give, honestly. No, actually, that's quite fair. I think. I think it deserves yeah, it. I'd, I'd give it a 4. I'd give it, I'd give it a 0.5 person. I think it's... As much as I don't entirely disagree with the plot, overall, I think it's great. I love the acting. I also I love Harrison Ford. Indiana Jones is my favorite film series. I love seeing Harrison Ford in anything. I think it's a really good movie. But four, I think four, four is fair. Five is too much, in my opinion. Yes. Right there we go. So, um, Kendra gave you a bit more. They were short and sweet, but that's totally fine. Um, I, I maybe I'll shock both of you here. Um, this is probably. Easily inside my top fifty films of all time. Um, this Ooh. is this is. I'm not giving out five before you <laughs> kind of get excited. But it's, it's, a, it's a strong four point five for me. Um, I would say that this is potentially the best sci-fi film ever made. Oh, in my in my that's opinion, and that's why it gets such a high rating for me. I think this there's there's this and another couple of films that sort of paved the way for modern sci-fi um yeah so i absolutely love this film um and i echo everything that kenji said plus i actually do like the plot of the film i think once you kind of get into it it's not super complicated and it, it does move at a fast pace for the first sort of three quarters of the film um as relatively long for a film that's of this age but doesn't feel like it acting's amazing um score sounds fantastic vangelis who also done chariots of fire and and uh, scores like that really really great pc work there um and also things like the set design is just the way that they've managed to capture a futuristic world, which is really weird, though, because when people do that, they never, ever get it right because we've now lived to the date in the film and we don't have flying cars and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's pretty weird. But apart apart from that, it does look really cool. Um, it's this sort of dystopian sort of future 
Um, but yeah, absolute great film, worth a watch. Check it out if you haven't. And that is us for the reviews. So we will now move on to the meat of the podcast, which is where we talk about the film and break it down from several categories called the Rules of Cult Film Cafe. And yes, if you're not familiar with the rules, I'll just give you a rundown of them. It's low budget, stroke box office flop, rewatchability, quotability, not well received by contemporary critics, stroke reviewers, explores controversial topics, subjects and themes and cultural impacts and the cult- the cultural impact and legacy of the film. So yeah, um, we'll just kick it off with the first one. This wasn't low budget, by no means a low budget film. 30 um, million. Th- 30 million. It's just shy of 100 million today. This would easily be 100 million plus dollar movie these days yeah if mm-hmm. you were to make something like this and we have had a sequel which the budget for the sequel was 185 million dollars so we just oh, know the sort hell. of scope of yeah just how budgets have changed for films of this magnitude um but yeah so it doesn't tick the low budget side of it but this bombed at the box office did it people did not like yeah it. really this just yeah. about made its money it made about 40 million which is nowhere near enough to cover no everything that would have been outlaid for it. Um, that's one of the big things of the the time with the production company. I think the production company involved with this was involved with a lot of films that were lackluster around the same time and eventually ended up kind of going bust. But yeah, um, that is the numbers in a nutshell. Grossed about 40 on a $30 million budget. I mean, Kenzie seems surprised at that. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that it was kind of um, that low. I mean, of course, forty-one million is still a lot. But what you got also think about is this film probably was advertised a lot. It probably got a lot of stuff given towards it since it was such a high-budget film. It probably had a lot of things behind it. It's only forty-one million. Like the theatrical version was like really bad. To be fair, <laughs> like the production company or the powers that be told them to put things in that weren't there so the narration the voiceover which is in the theatrical version wasn't in the original script harrison ford didn't like it there's rumors that he done such a bad job of the narration as to try and get them to cut it but obviously they just kept it in he was really unenthusiastic if you ever watch that version it's really bad like it's not something that should have been in the script what was he even saying like, oh, it's just, it just parts sounds so of the voice. Yeah, it's just, it, it just sounds bored. It's, yeah. it's to add context in a way, but it's overly it doesn't, explaining. I feel. Yeah, it's just something that isn't needed. Yeah. Viewing both versions, you really don't need it, and it's better without. Second of all, is the ending. The ending in the theatrical mm. version wasn't originally <laughs> in the script either, but they should have wanted a quote unquote happier ending to the film, so added that. It's not a great ending either. It's really weird. So yeah, I think there's a lot of different things that go into the reasons why it didn't make money. But yeah, I just feel like this film should have made money. Just didn't for whatever reason. But yeah, anybody else got anything to say on on this topic about the budget or the box office floppiness? (laughs) The box office floppiness of it? I'm still just kind of shocked. But um, no, I think we've pretty much covered it. Uh, I just never thought that this film. I, I I always thought this film probably made money. I'm surprised that if they just didn't. released the the modern versions at that time, it probably would have been fine. I think. I don't think so. So with that being said, 
we'll move on to rewatchability. Kenji's already touched on it. It's about roughly two hours long. I think it's about an hour and 50 odd minutes, depending on what cut. I think it can go anywhere from an hour and 53 to just shy two hours, depending mm-hmm. on the cut. If you watch the final cut, which came out in 2007, when I have, it's about an hour and 57 minutes. Rewatchability for me is massive. I've watched this film numerous times in my life. I have watched this film about five times in the last week. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some of these films that come up and I just have to keep re-watching them. Uh-huh. Um, I even watched 2049 as well. It's just nice to refresh. It's just it's nice to refresh your memory, jog your memory, see if you can see something a bit different, see if you still feel the same way about the film. You know, if you're a bit if you've not watched it for a while, you know. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, I, in my opinion, I've gave this such a high rate. This is a hugely rewatchable film for me. If somebody said to me you can only watch twenty films for the rest of your life, this might make the list. Like, because I would need some form of sci fi in there. So you never know. So it's a definitely it's a big tick for me. This rewatchability, I just love this film so much. <laughs> I can't really say anything else, man. I'm such a big fan of the film. It's a good movie. Um, I think it's quite rewatchable for the most part. It's not. It's like Kenzie says, about like you know, it's it's very, you know, it's it's a long film, but it doesn't feel long, which like adds to the rewatchability. And yeah, Harrison Ford's in it. I like Harrison Ford, so yeah, that's <laughs> that, true. that helps me a lot. I think it's. I wouldn't say it's a massively rewatchable, but I'd say it's rewatchable. I would say it's rewatchable. I think I, I completely agree with David's statement. It's like not super rewatchable, but it's definitely rewatchable. Especially, especially if you're like a sci-fi fan. If you're a mm. sci-fan fan, you'll probably love this film. Yeah. If you're not, I still feel like you're probably gonna like it. It's Most got a bit of everything, do. doesn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. but it's, as a sci-fi, yeah. Movie. I feel it's something. It's a neat. It's like it's obviously got neon like film noir elements. Mm. That's why it's a neon noir film as well. There's like elements of older cinema and older cinema tropes in it as well. So there is that aspect, but it is generally a science fiction movie based on a novel by a science fiction writer. That was a weird book, man. But yeah, like like I I agree with both the guys as well. Hugely rewatchable. That was a short and sweet and quick one there. Now we move on to quote ability, and now this is where this this is a this is always a contentious one on the podcast. Hopefully, at some point we'll get one where <laughs> we just start riffing off loads of quotes. But I would say that this is very much akin to some of the other films I've spoke about on the podcast, where it's maybe it's maybe not necessarily the quotes that you might reference among friends and you might if you're super fans of this film but there's so much good dialogue in this film and i think most characters have got something which is actually quite quotable in a certain circumstance and i think like most of the films there's an there's a character that has got a lot of good things that being roy batty in my opinion i think a lot of the things that comes out of his mouth are going to be lines of the film that a lot of people say i always um it always sticks with me about when when roy goes to see tyrell and it's like it's is it something that's like it's it's i'm trying to think of what the what he says but it's something about meeting your maker. Oh, um, it's not an easy thing to and, meet your maker, or something like that. Yeah. Mr. Terrell? I... I brought a friend. I'm 
surprised you didn't come here sooner. It's not an easy thing to meet your maker. And what can he do for you? Can the maker repair what he makes? Would you like to be modified? Stay here. mind something a little more radical what what seems to be the problem death death well I'm afraid that's a little out of my jurisdiction you I want more life father Yeah, I like that. That's always yeah. good. That whole scene, because like, I feel like quotable. that just holds a lot of depth, and it's like because that whole scene is really good because that's where Tyrell's got some good lines. It's um, when he says about Roy, he's like about the candle uh-huh. burning twice as bright, lives half as long, uh-huh. and that's another quote that people can probably understand and and get the meaning out of it. The bit at the top when just before Roy saves Harrison Ford at the end we spoke about it earlier it's quite an experience to live in fear isn't it that's what it is to be a slave is what he says to him before he saves him that's a good but line there is there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff there's um I think I I could probably quote a few a few lines from this maybe more than yours I don't know if you've got anything that you've picked up on or for for me it's um it's mainly the final part with uh, roy he does he's got the whole speech but for specifically it's time to die i've seen things you people wouldn't believe (laughs) attack ships on fire off the shoulder of orion i watched sea beams Glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time. It's very, it's very poignant. Uh-huh. Like, I, like I said, like I said when we were talking about quotability, I think Roy's got a lot of the good lines in this. Yeah, I think Tyrell's got. I, I like Leon's one where he's like battering Decker. He's like, he's like, oh, we, we, he's saying slaps. We, we wake up, time to die. And he gets like shot in the face. Yeah, that's another. <laughs> that's another time to die. Yeah. Painful living fear, isn't it? <laughs> Nothing is worse than having an itch you can never scratch. Oh, I agree. Wake up. Time to die. Um... He says like, yeah. a similar line in that bit as well, actually, doesn't he? To Roy at the end, because he's like, you know, uh, that's what it is to be a slave sort of thing, to live in fear. And then like, Leon's like, um, 
quite the experience living fear or something like that. Yeah, yep, yep. And he chucks him into a car. I think there's loads, loads of quotes there. We've, we've rattled off a few. Um, <laughs> anybody anything else that they want to, to bring up? I don't think it's as quotable as, say, Star Wars, The Princess Bride sort of thing, but I definitely think it's... The, 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 yeah. If, like, you're a fan of the thing, it's not like an everyday life sort of thing, like, you know, yeah, you know, like, I prefer yeah. I prefer lines of dialogue in this film mm-hmm. than I do from those films. Yeah, like no, I, I, get I think you. something like a Star Wars or like the Princess Bride has got a couple of really good ones that people will remember. But I I just think what has been said in this film actually has got meaning and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 other quote I wanted to bring up though was this is where I touched upon about Harrison Ford not actually being a good guy and maybe Roy being maybe better than people perceive is when Harrison Ford rushed, like, when Roy comes back to the to JF's house and he's hiding and he kind of shoots him and he, Roy says to him, it's not very sporting to fire an unarmed, unarmed opponent. I thought you were supposed to be good. Aren't you the good man? Mm-hmm. And that's where you kind of have to think, well, that's quite clever what they've done there, right? Because that is very unsporting in, in this kind of um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. duel, so to speak. But yeah, like 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 you have said, I, I get that there's probably going to be more quotable films that where they've got the kind of one-liner or a couple where they, they just stand out, but there's so many good things in this that I love some of the, the dialogue in this so much it has its moments really i think this film it's got i don't think it's like super quotable but it has its moments where it's got a good one Mm -hmm. and again real zingers but uh it's 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 like good like really they're different kinds of quotes from certain quotabilities so the more serious a lot of things yeah a lot more serious a lot more thought to them whereas certain the, the ones the quotes you mainly hear are the ones that are silly and or applicable uh, to most situations, yeah. I suppose. Like, like fucking Marvel's got about a million of them and stuff like that. The to bargain. Yeah, but I think I think the thing about this is, is because of the themes and so the, the what this film's try to explore and talk about, that they are going to mean they're going to hold mm-hmm. more weight than something to. Like, I mean, I nearly done it when I was cycling my bike the other day there, and there was a woman in front of me, and I really wanted to say on your left. Oh, and okay. it's just stupid Marvel <laughs> reference, but it just sticks with you. Yeah, but fair. Um, I, I agree. We'll we'll move on now to not well received by contemporary critics. Stroke reviewers. This is well. This was this is still um, viewed as. A, an amazing piece of cinema yeah so I, I don't really know where to go with this that's kind um, of all you can say <laughs> we'll, we'll kind of give it so um, Rotten Tomatoes the film holds an 89% fresh rating with 126 reviews which is actually quite a lot mm-hmm. um, 91% audience score based in over a quarter of a million ratings um, Roger Ebert um, when he sort of revisited the film, gave it a four out of four. Um, th- there's very few negative rate uh, reviews of the film. Um, 
I, I struggle to find any of sort of weight, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I'm the same. I think I think at the time, um, and this is another. This is one of these films that we 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 have spoke about in the podcast. Metacritic, Metacritic are normally really really harsh at scoring films that seem well received on other places where you get film reviews. But this on Metacritic has got an eighty four percent, which is probably the highest one we've had. Which they seem to be the more harsh reviewing sort of system. But yeah, this is great. Uh, on IMDb, I think it's in its top 250. I think it's about 170 something. It's got an 8.1 on there. Um, yeah, it's average average rating is 8.5 on Rotten Tomatoes based on critics. Um, I think what people have said is that it was kind of misunderstood. Um, at the time it got released, but obviously I think over time this has just achieved sort of more and more um, contemporary like revisits where critics now obviously maybe hold it in higher regard than at the time because I think critics at the time were, were mixed, but I think that's probably based on what what the film was. Um, it probably was a, a lot different to a lot of the stuff coming out at the time. Yeah, uh, th- this is really tough. I, I think there's no, there's not really much more we can say about it. Um, as, as as well reviewed um, and and things like that. Now we'll move on to expose controversial topics, subjects, and themes. Now there's a lot of different things that play in this film. If you super analyze it, um, there is one. Like sometimes I do this when I'm doing research for the for the film, and I'll just go, "Why is Blade Runner controversial?" or quote unquote film, right? The first thing that came up to me is a thing that I find a bit alarming because I didn't think about it when I watched it, but there's a lot of folks saying that Deckard raped Rachel. Oh, like the weird sex. That thing. scene was weird. Right, and I was gonna now, bring it up, that, but, now yeah. I think now I think about it, this is the right place to bring it up. <laughs> I think about it. That is really weird how that went down, and it's probably not a good look. What um, was that? Like, what? Like, yeah. seriously, what the fuck was that? Like, he like kissed her out, and she went to leave, and he just like slammed the door, and I was like, yeah. nah, that ain't happening. And then, then like, what? And then it's like he was telling her what to do, and well, then yeah, and then she yeah. started saying it herself. And apparently, the end of the film, she's she's in love with him. Or what? Yeah, it seems like a bit of a weird, contentious thing about the film that probably people would look at today, and that would be probably one of the big negatives that they would bring up about it. Um, uh, but I don't even have, sorry, I just, I, I just I don't even know what like they were trying to do in the like. Why did they film it like that? Why did they put it in the script like that? Why? I don't understand. Um. I've no idea. When I was doing research, I don't really want to bring this up, but I was reading about the scene because they, the, apparently they were trying to have this sort of love angle in the story, but apparently Harrison Ford and Sean Young just didn't get on. They had no actual chemistry with each other. Mm-hmm. So apparently this is based on things I've read. This isn't me saying this, just in case anybody thinks this. But apparently Ridley Scott said to get rough. Okay. And 
but I think during the filming, like I think it kind of caught Sean Young, who plays Rachel, off guard because apparently that during the takes and stuff, she would cry during the scenes and stuff. So I can get the vibe that she probably was questioning the morals of it and the reason why this was happening and why they couldn't have maybe written it a different way. It just seems quite sudden. It was so random. It just seemed both. It seemed out of character. It just seemed like I don't even know what it was. It just seemed very weird, and I don't see the point and why it was done like that. But bar to make it look sus, like I I don't like now. It look maybe at the time. Even at the time, like this still looks weird. Surely, it's very briefy, isn't it? It's just like I don't even know what that was. Uh, I, I I don't know. For me, this, if this felt like this, court, I mean, that's like kind of one thing, but in a way, it's a somewhat small thing. Yeah, it's, it seems very dodgy, but to make the would I call the whole film exploring a lot of controversial subjects? I would say kind of. It does it in a, does it in a certain way where like it kind of looks into like certain things like slavery a little bit, and uh, also I think morality in general, just morality of like the replicants and stuff like that. How do people feel about replicants and stuff like that? It doesn't really go into that that much. The person, yeah, it doesn't, but really, that's. Well, that's like one of the things as well. Like one of the themes of it is empathy. Yes. Like that's there's a certain sort of theme running through it. Why kind of why it bothers? Like, sorry. Um, things like corporate power. Yeah. It's another thing that it talks about. Like because it seems that if you look at this from a viewer's eyes back then, they didn't have they had no idea what 2019 was going to look like in 1982. Mm-hmm. So no, right, <laughs> well, well, I essentially ten people own all of the world's wealth now, but in a very different way. But there is people with god complexes, and that's the way that this kind of I, I feel as though these the Tyrell's character is like yeah, he's a top of the food chain. He's making all these AI and. He's playing. I feel God. like he's un he's but he's untouchable by the sounds of it. Yeah. There's sort of hints of oppression in it. Um hints of consciousness, like uh, what's real, what isn't real. Paranoia. They talk about like pa- the the paranoid like because nobody really knew. Like no like people now, I think that's that's why this film probably when people watch it now, kind of understand it because what was being explored there is happening now with AI, mm. um, and you're getting pretty humanoid AI these days. Very much like this is probably where we'll touch on it. I'll say it now, but the cultural legacy and impact is you wouldn't have films like another big, massive, huge, moving sci-fi for me, and a film that I love is Ex Machina. Then you wouldn't have a film like Ex Machina if there wasn't a Blade Runner, mm-hmm. and because you kind of they're talking pretty much about the same thing. It's a very similar story. There's this super creator guy who's creating this, locks himself away in his own world, and eventually succumbs to his product or his his the prodigal son, so to speak. It's very similar. If you've watched the X Machina and you've mm-hmm. watched Blade Runner, that character's story arc's very simple. Super clever designs something that then becomes more human than you think it is and then kills you. And it, it, I think a lot of people are concerned about 
AI today and that for that reason. I think that's a very prevalent thing in the world of technology and how it's an advancing. It's just interesting. I think there's a lot of different things that play in this film that people might not get if they're just expecting to sit down and munch a box of popcorn and watch this. But yeah, there's a lot of good good things to analyse in here. There's definitely a fair... I think you could do a lot of... There's a lot of religious symbolism in it. Like, see uh, Roy's whole thing, like the whole bit between Roy and... Flynn Tyrell is basically the Luc- you know, Lucifer falling from heaven sort of thing, but obviously it's reversed as in he's rising, he's going up to heaven to meet his creator rather than because he's like an angel sort of thing. You could argue a lot of the time that he is, he you know he's 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 Lucifer. You can do what they did and relate it to the prodigal son parable with like you know the prodigal son returning after wasting all his money on like hookers and playing casinos. That's a really good story, guys. You should listen to that one. It's very enjoyable to listen to. Um, also, I I noticed this after a while, but also it seems to be a relatively common thing, so I'm not big brain for thinking it. But a lot of people see, you know how like, towards the end, he's dying, he's, like, he puts like, a nail through his hand? A stigma. Yeah, it's like a, he's creating a stigmata and he saves his enemy sort of thing so it's like it's elevating Roy to a Christ-like figure sort of thing where he is turning the other cheek and with his pierced hand his stigmatized hand he saves Roy and pulls him from certain death it's kind of like um you know like the three thieves sort of thing he's like forgiving one he's he's, he's loving thy neighbor even though he's trying to kill him that sort of thing it's a lot you can do with it it's some knee shark stuff in there as well I'm pretty sure because, like, the Ubermensch Aryan race, because Roy looks like that. But mm-hmm. uh, That's, That is very true. You can do a lot with it. I was going to say that, talking about the stigma, and it's good that you brought it up. They actually cut that out of the original theatrical version. Really? They didn't want... So, you still... I think you can still see parts of it, but I think the part of him actually piercing his hand mm-hmm. isn't in the original the, theatrical version. Probably too violent. I think they cut this sort of stig- stigma part out of mm-hmm. it. Um, he's got, talking about the stigma part. He's got. I can't remember exactly what it is, but he says it's like six, seven. It's like go to hell, go to heaven, yeah. or want to hell, want to heaven. It's like there's that whole. There is this sort of religious undertone throughout the whole film, and it's it's so cool. I, I think this film is really complex, and you could break it down from a lot of different aspects. And I think that's probably why it's regarded as such a great piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of angles you can take with it. I think. Yeah. What about you, Kenzie? You got anything? Uh, oh, to be honest, I, I didn't really think about any like the kind of the religious <laughs> kind of standpoints of it. I'd even think about it. I, just, I saw him stab himself in the hand with a nail, and I was like, "Wait, why is he doing that?" <laughs> fair. Actually, that's fair. <laughs> I was just, I, 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 I thought something was wrong with his hand, and he st- stabbing it made it better or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I think you could sense that he was dying or something like that, and he was like, uh-huh. and he was like stabbing it. I, I don't know what stab. It's yeah, a adrenaline I, or something like that. I, I never thought about it in like the kind of religious context. There's there's just certain parts where I can see that the, the kind of the kind of context is. I think with the, this film really, it it does each like, every single one of these kind of somewhat controversial subjects so lightly. Like it only like dabs, it kind of only subjectively, mm-hmm. it only kind of goes in. Like it doesn't like fully. It kind of like what's the word? Focus. Uh, not, not focus is not what I'm looking for. It's like it only kind of like not even dabbles. It's just like. It's like a faint 
faint kind of faintness of each I, I can't get the word uh, kind of like a faintness of each kind of one it's like it's I had to spoiler me now because I can't <laughs> but like um, yeah so it doesn't really it's I don't want to say subject is the wrong word um, yeah but you know what I'm pretty much trying to say is it like each what kind of one thing it talks it, about it, it dabbles yeah it does it so lightly it's like there's a word for it but I can't actually think of what it is but like yeah pretty much just I, I don't really think I've got much else to say about it than that so would I overall say the film's controversial kind of yeah, I think we've kind of touched upon everything that's sort of in um, Blade Runner from the sort of the controversial or whatever you would say, quote-unquote controversial topics and themes that are sort of discussed within the film. So, yeah, I'm quite happy to sort of move on to the, the final one, which is the cultural impact and legacy of the film. I think this is a very, very quick and easy one to have. I think this, we touched, Kenzie touched upon it earlier about Red Dwarf essentially stealing parts of the film i think well they've pretty much done like the whole thing creatively acquired yes right yeah however 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 you want however you want to i'll quickly explain like how how what pretty much they pretty much do this whole special i think it was like 2009 actually done this like kind of like three-part special i think it was like the first time red dwarf properly like came back and they like a three-part special where they they pretty much get drugged with some sort of like ink from a squid, which makes them put, go <laughs> the into this kind of. Pl- well, it was actually the opposite. It's the female, oh, so, it's like the ha- so it's actually happiness, but they don't know that. Uh, so it brings them into this kind of world where it's, they're on Earth, and it, it's for some reason it's actually just normal Earth, but it, they keep on doing these little Blade Blade Runner things, like the, the whole thing. Cat uh, keeps on leaving the little origami things. Uh, they keep they keep them looting to that they're going to die and they're trying to get their life back because uh, apparently their show's good because in this world that they're in Red Dwarf's a TV show so it's kind of it's also uh, for fall breaky in a way so they go to like the, the creator of the show to try and um, get more life they want to continue the show going pretty much and they, they do a lot of different shots like they do the shot of uh, them all running through the glass and getting shot in the back that that happens. In fact, I actually prefer it in the Red Dwarf show than this film. I think it looks better in the show. But uh, yeah, they, they do the part of him going to going to get life, and then they even Luster accidentally kills him by like grabbing his head, which is quite funny. And again, they even do the final the final part from the theatrical part when they're, like they're driving in the mountains. Uh, Luster and uh, Kuchansky do that. So they take a they take a lot. Of like kind of little ones for no kind of like for no reason, but they do do it, and it's very heavily. You can tell it's Blade Runner, and that's probably done more than just Red Dwarf. That was just I, one yeah. sci-fi like sitcom show that really took it. Oh yeah, but you you're a fan of Red Dwarf, so that's obviously you you put the pieces together when you watched the film. Yeah, so that's why you, you were easy. It was easy for you to sort of bring that up but there's loads of other things um that was just one that i wanted to say in terms of sort of recognition on we talk about lists of films um it's up inside the top 100 of a lot of different media outlets films of all time um the guardian rated it as the number one sci-fi movie of all time. Total Film had it 47th of the 100 greatest films of all time. Time Magazine 
was in their all-time 100 movies. Empire had it in 2008. It's 20 on their list of 500 greatest of movies of all time. When they redone the same um, thing, it was the 100 greatest movies of all time in 2017, and it had moved up to 13 on the list. ING has got it as the second best um, sci-fi movie of all time. I think it just it's one of these films that I think at the time wasn't necessarily viewed that way but over time I think that just the legacy of this film is is incredible and I think there's a lot I think there's a this film paved the way for how modern sci-fi films look and feel um I think without this you wouldn't have a whole host of modern sci-fi films the way they are now um i think this was the first philip k dick uh, adaptation mm-hmm. but he's went on and had other ones i think total recall was adapted from a philip k dick um novel or story minority report is another one um philip k dick um so you've got that aspect yeah there is loads of, it spawned a sequel 35 years down the line i think 2017, 2049 came out. I think it gained a cult following initially um, off the back of poor box office. I think this is how these films come about and and get um, cult followings. I think secondary markets and I think it was high in DVD and VHS sales when it came out. And because there's so many different cuts of the film being re-released at certain times, I think they've kind of managed to keep it within pop culture for a long period of time. Um, the film was selected as, in the United States National Film Registry in 1993. Um, it's frequently taught in university courses. Um, in 2007, it was named the second most visually influential film of all time by the Visual Effects Society. The Visual Effects, Effects Society. Mm. Um, this is where it goes on. The film has also been subject to parody such as the comics Blade Bummer by Crazy Comics, <laughs> Bad Bad Rubber by Steve Galacci, and The Red Dwarf 2009 three-part miniseries Back to Earth, which Kenzie's talked about. So yeah, huge. Uh, there's even other things. Apparently Tesla's Cybertruck was heavily inspired by Blade Runner. It's another thing. Um, Ghost in the Shell, the film series, the anime, heavily, heavily influenced by... Blade Runner, um, there's a whole host of things. I think video games is another thing where you look at the sort of cyberpunk world. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably wouldn't have that in games without a Blade Runner, I would say. Um, games obviously looked very different in 1982 to what they do now, so having those visuals to go back on. Um, film directors have came out and said that this is up there in sort of top, I think uh, Guillermo del Toro has put this in one of his five favorite films of all time. Super influential movie for production designers, visual effects artists, cinematographers, directors, filmmakers. Denny Villeneuve, who went on to do 2049, cites this film as obviously a massive influence in him um, in terms of uh, his career. Um, yeah, I just think this film as a whole has shaped the way modern sci-fi movies have now became a look. I really like board game games and stuff as well. Like Cyberpunk uh, 2049. Mm-hmm. 
Like yeah. apart from the yeah. flying cars, which aren't really there, the whole you know Japanese dominated American city sort of thing. It looks just like it. It's like literally ripped from the film almost. It's like it's, it's quite cool. We have covered all the Rosie uh, Cockham Cafe, and we'll now swiftly move on to the last portion of the podcast where we just agree or disagree whether it's a cult film or not and after that we will put it in our top 100 if we des- thinks it deserves a place there or not as David chose the film it'd be interesting to see what you think about it in terms of is it a cult film or not and if you would put it in your top 100 list of cult films um I would say it's a cult film especially after doing, like reading up on it because I thought the film was neat. I would definitely say it's a cult film. Maybe less so now, because people have more seen like the directors in the final cut. Um, and if I'd put it, but I I would put it actually. No, I would put it in my top 100 cult films. I don't think I'd put it. I I'd, actually you know what I'd I'd give it a solid 59 on my on my top 100. I think I like the film. I think it's a good film. I like Harrison Ford. I like how Harry's chest is in it. It looks funny. <laughs> Like man's got a rug on his chest. Let's be honest. Jesus Christ! It, t- tell me I'm wrong. I'm not. Exactly. Right. I'd say I saw it fifty nine because it's a good film. It's I, I like it a lot. I like how it's influenced stuff, but I wouldn't say it's, it's the best or the worst. Right there we go. That's David Shot and Sweet. Um, Kenzie, what about you? I am not too sure because <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a contentious one. Yeah. This is one's really bothering me. At the time, I would have definitely said it would have been a cult film. At the time it came out, <laughs> it is quite popular. It is like it's, and it's quite. That doesn't stop it from being a cult film, but it's it's very well known. It has a very big fan base. It even got a sequel. Um, like I said, like like. Jonathan said it was like what thirty five years later it still managed to get uh, one. Yeah. Um it's stayed relevant. It's oh this this one's I'm fine this one's really <laughs> bothering me. Um I feel I feel like it kinda of is still a little bit, but Alright, I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna say it isn't or it is or it isn't. And okay. I'm gonna say no. Mm. But uh, it's like oh but it's still like a little bit uh, <laughs> this one is hard for me. I, I, Look, I, I sh- I'm struggling. Just, you got a solid maybe. Well, how do you, like? How do you actually feel? Like, what does your heart tell you? Yeah, just well, that's a bit heavy, David. <laughs> <laughs> We're only talking about films here. It's an important film. Yeah, I'd probably say no. Well, your heart's wrong. That's fine. Right. So, because you don't think it's a cult film, then obviously it won't hit your top hundred. Then no. It won't make a list like that. It's interesting because <laughs> I totally agree with Kenzie. I couldn't <coughs> put this on a list of cult films because I think maybe 10 years after its release probably would be a cult film, but now I think this film is lauded as arguably the best sci-fi film ever made. I know it didn't make loads of money and stuff like that, it's got big stars in it. Harrison Ford, as everybody knows who Harrison Ford is now. I mean, maybe not at the time, but they, they did. They had big <laughs> roles then. Um, 
So yeah, I totally agree. I think early days would have been a cult film, but now I just don't think I can see this as a cult film. The way that I view this film, definitely not. Um, for me, this is a classic piece of cinema, not a cult classic. That's what I was about to say, actually. Um, yeah, I'd probably see it more as a classic. It should be viewed like that moving forward. I think the cult status has probably left it now. I think it's timed out in terms of just how impactful this has been in cinema. So for that reason, it won't make my top 100 cult movies or cult films list, sadly. But what I would like to say is it would 100% make a list of top 100 films of all time, of mine. So not to say that I dislike the film. I do. I love this film. I just have a hard time calling it a cult film now based on everything that is done for cinema and the people who make cinema are involved in cinema now. Yeah, sadly, this is the first time where we're split, but me and Kenzie agree that it's not a cult. David still thinks it's a cult. He's got it 59 on his list. So, unless anybody's getting else to say, I mean, David probably wants to say a lot of things about <laughs> me, but I won't. Yeah, 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 um, <laughs> How do you feel about that, David? Um, Well, <sighs> when it comes to times like this, I like to think of... um. Our Lord Jesus, and how just like he, just like him, uh, people didn't believe him when he was right, and they all said the wrong thing. I, I honestly, I don't think John, John, I think what Jonathan said was perfect. I pretty much agree with that one hundred percent. I think. Okay, Judas. I, think that's, I, I don't think he could have worded it. <laughs> I, I don't. I genuinely don't think he could have worded it better. What he just said, I think that's correct for me. I, I completely feel. I would completely agree mm-hmm. with that. Right, so before we digress any further and start arguing about whether this film's cult and where it should be placed on a list and, and things like that, David, just to double check, you still think it's a cult film even though me and Kenzie I, don't? I, I'm standing by it. <laughs> Fair. You will not I, no, force I'm, me. No, I'm not forcing you. You <laughs> stick to your guns if you believe it is. So for David, it's a cult film, and I can see why he thinks that. It's 59 in his top 100. Me and Kenzie agree for the same reasons that it's not a cult film but like I said I would place this in one of the best films ever made for for me um, I don't know how Kenzie feels about that probably that not but that's <laughs> that's just that's just him so yeah um, that is it for this episode of the podcast it's been great as always chatting about an amazing piece of cinema and as always if you'd like to get in contact with the podcast you can find us over on Instagram at Cult Film Cafe and if you would like to email us you can email us at thecultfilmpodcast at gmail.com and as always, if you'd like to get in contact with me, you can find me on Instagram at 081331productions. That's the best place to get me. It's the only social media that I use. Kenzie on Instagram is... Doge underscore dogs on Instagram. And um, he's not really been streaming as much these days. You've been letting the side down. I've been plugging his Twitch stream. But we'll just keep doing it. We'll keep we'll keep flogging a dead horse. But I, will, you, I will be streaming. <laughs> I will be streaming more. I've had a little bit of a, I've been a little, a little bit busy. I will right. this week probably. Are you better. Um, <laughs> Twitch.tv um, slash Croak the Sick Man if you want to join us there. Yeah, there you go. If if you're into gaming and you want to check out Kenzie's stream, you can sometimes uh, find me in the stream as well, and we'll be playing something. I don't know what Kenzie plans to play next, but check him out. And um, as always, you can find David. Where can people find you? What is it you use the most? I'm guessing it'll be Twitter or Instagram for you. 
I'm more of a Twitter sort of fella, so you could probably find me at photos D G J is my at on Twitter. Oh, there you go. Um, yes, my initials. <laughs> there you go. Um, so that is it for this episode of the podcast. It's been great having David on as always. And as always, I will put everybody's links in the description of the podcast when it goes out on all the platforms and YouTube and all that good stuff. So it's a goodbye from me. It is a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. Podcast out, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. How dare you people? Y'all are fucking terrible people.